Hello and welcome back to Witglass Unfiltered. This is episode 13 and I am your host, Courtney Huntington. I have a somewhat fresh cup of coffee that I made a few minutes ago as I was getting everything set up. It is a very cool day here, but just as lovely as uh, many of the recent days that we've had in, in my location. And it is just a fine, fine day to be alive. I'm glad you're here with us today. We've got quite a bang-up show, and uh, I'm really excited. I want to start with uh, some administrative stuff. I mentioned to you I'm really excited. Uh, I hope today to have the podcast all set up on SoundCloud to make it easier for uh, for people to gain access to it and get it set up. It's on iTunes already, obviously, but... I want to get it set up on SoundCloud too, and I'm hoping that uh, all of that is going to be done today. Uh, I'm also excited because I'm working on sponsors and um, getting close to to something there, so uh, hopefully pretty soon you'll get to hear some sponsor reads on the show, and uh, I'm excited about about how that's going to go down. I'm uh, planning to do all live sponsor reads. And um, it's going to be a wonderful experiment, and uh, I hope you're going to uh, stick around with me uh, to enjoy it. Um, also, coming up soon, um, I'm planning to have a, a links page set up uh, so that you can access uh, some of the, uh, the materials that I access on a regular basis, uh, whether it be sites that I trust in terms of their news reporting or um, or uh, important uh, technology products that, that I use or things like that. So I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about some of the new articles that uh, I'm, I'm working on. Some of them I haven't started writing yet, but uh, um, they're, they're all in the stage of being researched or things like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm pretty excited uh, I've got an article coming up on education in America in the 21st century. I've got an article coming up on the craft of writing. Uh, I'm also planning to post some poetry, uh, which is uh, exciting. It's something I've been planning to do as as I envisioned writing in the glass. Uh, it's something that that I've wanted to do from the beginning, so I'm excited to uh, finally be uh, posting some of that. Um, I've got an article coming up on literature and metaphor. Uh, I've got an article coming up on music. I still have an article on the first hundred days of Trump that uh, I, I want to get posted. And then uh, I'm going to continue working on the executive orders of Donald Trump. So stick around for all of that coming up. I'm really excited about that. Hopefully, uh, you're excited too, and if you're not excited yet, hopefully you'll get excited, and if you don't get excited, well, either I'm doing something wrong or you're doing something wrong, and um, if you think I'm doing something wrong, I hope you tell me. Um, now, I, I also want to mention one more thing that I almost forgot. Uh, I listened to the audio from yesterday, and it seemed more scratchy than some of the others recently. And I'm not quite sure what that was, but I apologize for that. And um, hopefully today's audio will be better. I don't know if I was just moving around more and things were rubbing more than 
um, than in the past, but uh, hopefully today's audio is going to be a bit better. Now, today, in this episode, episode 13, we're going to shift gears away from literature and away from Larry Wywoody, but we're going to come back to those topics because I have more that I want to say on that. But I there are some things I want to say about uh, headlines in the news, current events, um, both in the political realm and in the technology realm, and I hope that I'm going to have time to get to both of them today. Um, the first thing I, I'm going to talk about is politics, because I haven't really talked about politics in uh, a couple shows, I think, and um, so I, I think it's time for me to say something else about about Trump and what's going on in the Trump world. Uh, you know, there there's so many things, way too much to talk about, of course. Uh, you, you know, magazines and websites um, fill up pages and pages and pages and rake in millions and millions of dollars talking about Trump all day long, and they still don't talk about all of it. Um, I'm certainly not going to be able to talk about all of it here in the next 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so many cool things going on. You know, Donald Trump has announced his list of of candidates isn't the right word, um, nominees, uh, potential nominees for uh, uh, federal judgeships. Um, there's the the testimony of of various people in Washington on things like the Russia probe and Flynn. Uh, fascinating, fascinating material. Hopefully you're not believing half of what you hear uh, or read in the mainstream media. Um, But what I want to talk about today regarding Trump is, is that I still don't think that people get Trump. I I still think that that's true, even of uh, Republican conservative types. um, Honestly, I think that there are a lot of people who voted for him. I still think this. I know I've said it before, who don't really get him. Um, And I'm not trying to denigrate them, and I'm not trying to say that somehow I've got a a crystal ball into who Trump is. There are things about him I do not understand yet. Um, and, and I'm, I'm still mentally working through various details that I've picked up. Um, but I don't want to focus today on what people don't get about him. I want to focus today on what people do get about him, because I believe that people get him enough to know that they are afraid of what he represents. The liberal-leaning, left-leaning, Democrat-type Washington politicians are afraid of the populism, but they're not afraid of the populism itself. They would love to have that kind of populist groundswell behind them. They're just using that as a uh, a buzzword. They're opposed to populism right now, but only because they're not the ones that the current populism is supporting. 
So they, they talk about populism and how dangerous it is, but they would be absolutely delighted to have the populism behind them. And if that happens... They will change their tune and they'll go, oh, no, 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 we, we never said anything wrong was wrong with populism. We love populism. And you can look back at uh, articles by Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer on CNN. You can look at articles by Sean Hannity. You can look at articles by anybody anywhere and, and see liberal types um, talking about populism. And they'll still tell you to your face, the lie that, oh, they never denigrated populism. Um, but populism isn't really the point. I mean, what, what does populism even really mean? You know, if, if you go back to the, the French Revolution, I mean, do any of us want that kind of populism? I don't think so. So it's not about populism. It's about what this particular version of populism, if that's even an accurate term to apply to it, what it represents. If you're a Republican, pseudo-right-leaning, etc., etc., you're afraid of what Trump represents too, Well, that's partly, of course, because Republicans aren't right-leaning at all in general. They're actually rather left-leaning. They're just a little bit more to the right of the far left-leaning Democrats. I mean, Neil Gorsuch is not an extreme conservative. He's not an extreme right-winger. He's a middle-of-the-road right-winger. He just happens to be more right-wing or closer to the right than some other people. And it's very, very dangerous for anybody who claims to be on the right to accept the definitions of right and left coming from the left. Because, frankly... Um, the further to the right you get, the more honest you are. That's just a simple fact of life. And if, if you're in favor of fascism, you're not on the right. If you're in favor of Nazism, you're not on the right. If you're in favor of communism, you're not on the right. If you're in favor of socialism, you're not on the right Now, as I've said before, I don't generally talk in terms of left and right, liberal, conservative, because I think that those terms are so misused by so many people. But hopefully my comments here are clarifying what I mean by right and left so that you understand how I'm using them here and now. There, there are those, uh, if, if you listen to the Tom Woods show, which you certainly should do, whether you're 
libertarian or not doesn't matter. Tom Woods is very informative and he talks to a wide range of guests and he's well, well worth your time. Um, he says all the time, well, there is a right and there is a left and those terms are meaningful. And I understand what he's saying. Uh, I'm not sure that I completely agree, but that's, that's only because, I don't know, it's not only because, um, I just don't think that those terms are meaningful enough. I think that if we use those terms, we're actually, we get in trouble because we end up avoiding using the terms that we really mean. The reality is that we are in a pitched battle of good against evil. And the ideas of the left, as we know them, are aligned with evil. The ideas of the extreme right, as... <laughs> Boy, see, see, this is where it's so easy to get in trouble. But the ideas of right and left, right is, is good. But I defy those who are willing to say that fascism is a right-wing idea. No, fascism is not a right-wing idea. It is a left-wing, oppressive idea. Oppression is always left-wing. Okay, and, and so... I think that it's more useful to talk about ideas like oppression than it is to talk about left wing or right wing. Talk about good and evil. Talk about right and wrong. So I'm opposed to, generally I'm opposed to using the terms left and right simply because of how they're used. Um, now, let, let, me, let me rephrase that. I, I want to be more specific. I'm opposed to them, to the use of those terms generally, not always, I'm not saying you can never use them, but generally I'm opposed to using them because they're, they're euphemisms. And they distract from the real issues, which are not about direction, not about sides. It's about right behavior, wrong behavior. And are you siding with right behavior or are you siding with wrong behavior? But it's not about directional sides. It's about sides in the battle of good versus evil. But of course, that's exactly why some people prefer not to use or prefer to use the terms left and right. Because when you start talking about good and evil, uh, people tune out. If you, I mean, just think about George W. Bush when he used the term evil 
the axis of evil. Oh man, the blowback from all sorts of people, left and right, so-called. Now, I'm not interested in talking about whether he was right or wrong about referring to them as the axis of evil. I'm just talking about the fact that he used the word evil. And people got so upset because, oh, that term is just too harsh. I mean, I I give him props for having the guts to say that. Now, again, I'm not saying he was right. But I do like it when people are honest and have the guts to say it the way that they see it. And of course, that's one of the things that people love about Donald Trump. Is that you get the pure, unadulterated thought running through his head. Every time he opens his mouth or tweets. Now, of course, that's exaggeration. I doubt it's the pure, unadulterated thought, but it's certainly less filtered I think it's more filtered than some people think, which is one of the things I think people don't get about Trump is that I think he's very intelligent and he understands the ideas of marketing and branding. So I think that there is a very strong filter. There is a message he wants to get across. Now, Part of that message is that he is different. Uh, I listened to a podcast a while back. This was actually another episode of the Tom Woods Show. Um, I have no connection to Tom Woods whatsoever. He is not a sponsor of this program. Um, He doesn't know I'm saying anything about him. Um, I get no remuneration of any kind. (laughs) Uh, I I just think it's a great show and you should listen to it. Um, So every week, after you've listened to my show, listen to Tom Woods. This was an episode that came out two or three months ago and he was talking about, it had a guest who'd written a book about Donald Trump. And the claim of the writer of the book um, was that Donald Trump, or maybe it was actually one of his campaign staffers or managers or something um, said that the reason that Donald Trump was tweeting so much and the reason that he was, you know, he was saying things that seemed to be maybe off message was that that is the message is that Donald Trump is not part of the establishment. He's more real. So you're going to get less filtering. And that was exactly the message they wanted to communicate. And it worked. Um, So I think that Donald Trump has a, a sense of this branding. And part of that brand, apparently, is that he's not part of the establishment. And that is, I believe, 
the thing that has so many so strongly opposed to him. Whether you are a Republican or a Democrat in Washington, you don't really want anything to change significantly because you got elected in the current system. You got elected to the current establishment. And the only way that you can protect your spot in that establishment is to continue the establishment as it exists. That's one of the reasons it's so rare to find a politician who will actually fulfill their promises. They don't want their promises to be fulfilled because then the battle's over and they won't get reelected. But if they pretend to fight the battle that they promise and then nothing happens, they can go back to their constituents and say, oh, look, I tried. Re-elect me so that I can keep trying. Donald Trump is against the existing establishment. Now, I, I want to clarify that just because he is against the existing establishment doesn't mean that the establishment he desires is a good one. Okay, I'm not saying this to support his policies or this or that or his vision or make America great again, whatever that means. I am not saying that Donald Trump's vision of the establishment is good or bad, right or wrong. I'm saying that he's against the existing establishment and that is enough for people to be adamantly, vehemently, uh, rabidly opposed to him. But if you're an average American citizen, you should absolutely get behind Donald Trump in fighting the establishment that exists. Because I talk to people who are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, at varying stripes in between. And I don't know a single person who says, oh yes, Washington is so, so full of just wonderful, honest, stand-up people. They all talk about them as crooks. They all talk about them as corrupt. So I don't care what side you're on in that sense. The average people of the United States know that the existing establishment is destructive to their personal liberty. And so I think that we who are average citizens can still get behind Donald Trump in fighting the establishment that exists. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a little fearful, or fearful is not the right word, but um, oh, resistant to the exact vision of the establishment that he might want to establish. But really, we should all applaud him for continuing to fight against Congress because Congress is stupid and full of stupidity. Actually, that's, that's not true. They're not stupid. They're evil. They're very intelligent. 
our Congress people. Very intelligent. Some of them might be stupid. I don't know. I, I don't know all of them. I can't speak for all of them or about all of them with any knowledge. But you can see by their actions, their fruits are evil. And if their fruits are evil, well, we all know what that means. It's not that they're stupid. They're very intelligent, but they have evil intelligence. And that establishment, that establishment of evil intelligence is something we ought to resist. I think it's really instructive to consider who Trump has made enemies of. And I'm not referring to, um, to foreign enemies. I'm not referring to North Korea or Russia or China or Iran or Syria or, for that matter, Britain or France or any other um, less opponent, less enemy nation. Um, I, I'm not referring to those. I'm, I'm talking about the enemies in our own country, in our own establishment. The fact that CBS and CNN and ABC and NBC and oh, BuzzFeed and... Vanity Fair and Politico, the fact that those types are so opposed to Trump gives me hope. I'm excited that they're opposed to Trump. That tells me that something at least that Trump is doing must be worthwhile. Because if it wasn't, nah, they wouldn't be so opposed to him. I mean, you, you can see how CNN treats John McCain. They love the guy. So clearly it's not a Republican versus Democrat thing. But John McCain is a representative of all that's wrong with American politics. And I mean that. That is not hyperbole. I believe that he is representative of all that's wrong with American politics. Which is why when Trump bombed Syria, uh, that I became concerned, I mean, I'm con I was concerned by the bombing itself. But then when you see that John McCain is rah, rah, rah about it, well, that should have tipped the entire world off that this was a bad idea. I know that there are some Trump people who go, oh, wait, 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 no, no, just wait, just wait, just watch. He's, uh, he's got something up his sleeve here. There's a, he's, he's brilliant. There's a reason he's doing this. Well, I don't really care. I don't really care what his, um, his brilliant scheme is. He bombed a place and killed people. 
And if it's just a scheme, it's a problem. You have to have just cause for, for killing. So it bothered me that guys like John McCain were so supportive. And look at CNN. Oh, CNN supported that move. Boy, the, the Democrat-leaning mainstream media, boy, they were all over that Syria bombing. They were applauding, standing up, ovations. I mean, I tell you, they were just loving this. Oh, Donald Trump is finally the president we hoped he could become. Hmm. You can't believe most of what you hear in the mainstream press about Donald Trump. Because they all want him to lose. Now, I think that there may have been a little bit of strategy from the likes of CNN in talking positively about Donald Trump and the bombing and this and that, is that in some ways I think that they see that as a as losing because Donald Trump is proving himself in in that instance to be no different. And so like, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about this thing. Yeah. Yeah, whether they think it's actually good or not to bomb Syria. They're going to talk about it positively because that's the kind of stupidity they want from the president. But for the most part, you can't believe what they say about Trump because they want him to lose and they are actively trying to pull him down. And they're willing to misrepresent facts to do so. Over and over and over. And uh, I'm, I'm out of time now. I was hoping to transition this into talking about net neutrality, but I think I'll save that for next time. But I, that whole idea of net neutrality, I talked about defining terminology earlier. Well, let's talk about net neutrality for a moment. I'll just give you a little teaser. I just pulled this up this morning, uh, either just before I started recording the podcast or just after just looking for some headlines. Um, just This just came up on my newsfeed. An article from The Guardian with a headline, What is Net Neutrality? The answer matters more than ever. And then, uh, subline, uh, U.S. campaigners rejoiced in 2015 when net neutrality, in quotation marks, enshrined the internet as a free and level playing field. A vote on May 18th could take it all back by an author named Olivia Salon or Salone. But this is the definition, okay? The, art, the article goes through a few paragraphs, short paragraphs, gets to the headline with this question, what is net neutrality? Okay, and the, the first sentence under that headline 
or heading is net neutrality is the idea that internet service providers, ISPs, treat everyone's data equally, whether that's an email from your mom, a bank transfer, or a streamed episode of something. Okay. That's the definition that they gave. Okay. But then... The article says, actually, it may have been a little bit earlier. Yeah, oh yeah, it was earlier in the article. The second sentence of the article. In the second sentence of the article, the author says, on that day, referring to February 26, 2015, the FCC voted to more strictly regulate internet service providers. So within the very first couple of sentences of this article, the author openly says that net neutrality is, or includes at least, more regulation. But they, they're brilliant in choosing this term, net neutrality. I am all in favor of net neutrality, but I have never known the government to regulate neutrally. Well, I said I wasn't going to get into it, even though I wanted to. But then I did get into it a little bit. But that's just a teaser. That's just a teaser on net neutrality. I didn't even get to talk about technology today. So next time, I think net neutrality and technology will be the topics du jour because the two go very nicely together. Thank you very much for being with me today here on Witglass Unfiltered. I look forward to being with you next time. Have a great day.